You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here today. On June 17th, 2015, a white man named Dylan Roof with a white supremacist ideology shot and killed nine African and American Christians in a church in South Carolina, killing them dead. This is one incident of many tragedies that are racially motivated in America that I could mention this morning, reminding us that racism is alive and well in America. Extreme forms like this shooting in South Carolina but even in what you might call more subtle forms of racism, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Let's just be a little honest today. I mean, you would never call yourself a racist. You would say that you love all people and, and that all people are equal. And yet, if you're white in the room today, you've never been to a wedding where two black people were married you're a business owner and white, you have never hired a Latino in your company. You've never been to a funeral where a black man or black woman is in the casket. Why? Why is this? I would say that most likely it's because you don't have any friends that are from another race. And so I'm not talking about the guy that you went to college with who was black that you talked about or talked with or, or your uncle who hired a Latino at one time and you interacted with him regularly. I'm talking about in your life today, no matter what race you are today, I want to challenge you with this question. How many friends do you have in your life currently today that are from another race? Now, I know what you're thinking. Trent, slow down, man. Slow your roll a little bit here. Just because I don't have a black friend doesn't mean I'm not racist. Doesn't mean I am racist, sorry. And I would say, you're right. Doesn't make you a racist. However, it does make you irrelevant when it comes to the conversation about racism in America. And perhaps it makes you complacent about the issue. Perhaps it makes you lack empathy towards this issue. Perhaps it makes you unaware of the reality that black, Latino, Asian Americans today still face racism every single day of their life. If you're white in the room, I want you to thank God today because you don't have to think about racism every single day of your life. That is a gift that you have today. But my black friends and all African Americans in culture today in America are faced with this issue every single day of their life. We're in a sermon series entitled Vision Culture, and we're I'm hopefully reminding you today in the last few weeks that politicians have a vision for culture. You might have a vision for culture, but we must be reminded that our political views must be grounded in the gospel. Our vision for America today must come from God's word, not pop 
culture, not any politician. And so, the last few weeks, I've been talking about, I don't know, some pretty easy subjects. I don't know if you think they're easy. We've talked about biblical sexuality and gay marriage. We've talked about abortion. And today, we talk about the issue of racism, and particularly in America, and how racism will in fact end. And I come to you today just confessing that I'm not an expert. I don't have this figured out. I don't think we solve all the issues today. I don't think that I have done enough. And so um, over the last few weeks, as I've prepared for this, God has convicted me. And so I've had some conversations with old friends who are African-Americans and black pastors locally to help me get my head around this. And I, I hope that today uh, spark something in you, spark something in me to move forward in the future with a different mentality. And I think our first service was great, and I'm praying that this is as well. I, I don't think it's possible for us to overstate the significance of the civil rights movement over the last several decades. Our nation has made some incredible strides over the last 70 years. And Martin Luther King Jr., his dream in many ways is coming to fruition. It's, it, it's coming to reality. White children, black children are going to school together. We're playing sports together, working together. So many barriers have been broken down. No matter what your political view is about President Obama, you cannot overlook the fact that the first African-American president was elect, elected, and that says a lot about culture. White Americans, though, often forget that there are still African Americans alive and well today who grew up in an America where they could not go to the same restroom as white people. They grew up in an America where they could not drink from the same water fountain that white people could drink from. And for me, that sounds like ages ago, like, is that even possible? And yet it is a reality. So we've come a long way. Great progress has been made, but we have a long, long way to go. We've made some good laws that have led to some great progress, but the reality is we know this to be true. Good laws don't change bad hearts. You could have a good law saying that African Americans have the right to vote, but that doesn't mean that every white guy in the room today doesn't have a view that they shouldn't have that right. Why? Because a, a law is good and necessary and needed, and yet it is limited. A law cannot change a man's heart towards another person, no matter what race it is. It's important for especially white people in the room to understand this, and it's important that if you are not in relationships with black people, with Latinos, Asians, you name it, then your view of race in America is incomplete at best. And at worst, you're hurting the cause of Christ and creating division in America today. Rick Warren pastors a large church in California, and he once said, I found that racism is a most common and least admitted sin in the church. And, and I would say that because of political correctness and uh, because we step into this conversation a little fearful, a little ill-equipped, it's uncomfortable that for the most part, 
I see people who are white um, and, and definitely in our city kind of not really engaging that much in the issue. I know there are exceptions. Um, and so I, I, I want us to, to put it at the forefront today and to be challenged today. So let's just sit with the uncomfortable awkwardness of what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, I, I think that one of our issues, and I wrote an article about this not long ago, but it was right after a white police officer had shot a, a black man and, 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 and instantly, you know, the, the firestorm that creates in culture. And, and, and my point, one of my points in the article was that when you see this on the news, when you see this incident as a white American, what is your first reaction what is your initial response? What is that first thought? What is that first emotion that you have in that instance? And as I talk to people who are honest, sometimes white Americans, that first instinct is, man, just follow the law. Just stop doing that. Just this, just that. And what we tend to do as white people, and I can speak as a white man, we oversimplify the issue. We act like this issue is simple you got to stop doing X and start doing Y. But the issue is so much more challenging than that. Systematically, there are so many issues. Laws are great, but hearts are dark. And so the issue is complicated. And, and, and the issue at hand is something that really is birthed out of pride. Because racism is saying, my culture is better than your culture my people are better than your people. We looked at it last week with the issue of dehumanizing the unborn. And so whether it's African-Americans, Native Americans, um, in our history as a nation, when we devalue another group of people, that is racism, and it is an affront, it is sin against a God who creates all mankind in his image. And so I want us to look at the gospel because every issue that we face as a culture is grounded and overcome by understanding the implication of the gospel. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer for your marriage, for your parenting skills or lack thereof. The gospel is the answer for the issue of abortion, gay marriage, racism, you name it. When we look to God's word, we see the answers and the direction that Christians, followers of Christ Jesus, must walk. And so I start here like I've started uh, the last few days. And first of all, if you're taking notes, God creates in his image. So we look back at Genesis 1, verse 27. It says, God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God, he created them. This is essential. This is essential to your theology of humanity, that God is creating all people in his image. No human being is more or less human than another person. I hope, I hope at the very least, you have come to this conviction in your own heart through this sermon series. Racism seeks to dehumanize, to belittle and oppress image bearers of God. It's an infection in God's church that creates division, not only in God's church, but division in culture. And it extinguishes the gospel's effectiveness in a culture, in a city, in a neighborhood, in a family. Doesn't matter if it's an unborn baby, mentally handicapped person, an elderly person, 
all lives are created in the image of God. Secondly, God is the one that diversified us, okay? He is in control of the diversification. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 31, after the fall, sin has entered the world. It says God, people were divided according to their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. In Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, God gives different languages. People scatter into their land. So people groups are beginning to form. Different ethnicities grow out of this event. Different languages uh, are, are created as a result of this. And God is the one who is doing this. So we have to realize that, that God is in control of all of these different ethnicities and, and, and colors and, and languages and tribes. And he says that it is good. In Acts 17, 26, it says, From one man he made all nations, God made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So God is the one that is saying, this person is going to be born in this time frame. So we are on earth at this season, such a time as this, because God said, I want you to live in this culture at this time. And he said, I want you to live in the United States of America. And in particular, I want you to live in the great state of Tennessee. Hallelujah, right? So we get to live here and it is God's direction and it is God who has orchestrated this. He creates the diversity. So it must be good. And here's the other reality of diversity. Sometimes we lose sight of this, but God is using all different ethnicities and people groups to build his kingdom. God is using predominantly Latino churches to build his kingdom. God is using predominantly black churches to, to build his kingdom. He's using multi-ethnic churches to build his kingdom. All over the world, right here, right now, all over this world, people are worshiping the same Jesus that you and I are worshiping today. On the other side of the world, in Japan, in China, in Europe, they are lifting up the name of Jesus, all tribes, all kinds of languages, all races, and God is using each one of them specifically to build his kingdom. All diversity is necessary to accomplish God's will. Thirdly, racism is sin. So we've got to recognize that racism is in fact a sin because diversity is God's idea. It's very simple. Looking down upon another person because of their ethnicity is sin. Dehumanizing an image bearer is sin. Thinking of them as not as important or devaluing them because of the color of their skin is sin. Discriminating against someone because of the color of their skin or because of their nation is wrong. Immediately after Adam and Eve sin in Genesis chapter 3, um, their relationship with God is divided. They're, they're, they're separated. It changed everything. Not only was there division between themselves and God, but they also had division between themselves. Remember what we read a few weeks ago, that they, they, they began to fight for power, and, and now that sin is going to put them at odds against each other. And the same is true for all humanity. Because of sin, because of pride, we have relationship issues. Relationships are, in fact, difficult. I was sitting down with one black pastor, and, and uh, he said, Trent, the first thing I see when I look at you is that you're a white guy. <laughs> I was like, yep. 
He said, the first thing you see when you look at me is that I'm a black man. I said, yeah. He said, that's all right. He said, the reality is we have to get over this idea that, that getting together and having this conversation, even though it might be a little awkward, that we have to be willing to offend each other. We have to be willing to understand that there might be some offense as we talk, but we still have to have these conversations. He said, do you, do you have issues with your wife? I said, bro, I've got a lot of issues with my wife. <laughs> you know. He said, yeah, why? I said, well, you know, sin and we get selfish. And he said, yeah, I know, man, relationships are hard, even with the people that we would die for, even the people that, that we are married to, that we love unconditionally, we still have issues with them. Why in the world do we think that it's going to be easy to reconcile some of these racial issues and tensions in, in our city and in our world? Of course it's gonna be awkward. Of course we're gonna offend, but we fight for this unity even in the same way that we fight for unity in our marriage. This is, this is huge. We've got to recognize that racism is a sin. We also have to recognize that, that this isn't a new issue. Racism has been happening in America for a long time, from the very beginning and, and, and throughout history, but racism has always existed. It's always been a sin that the world has dealt with. In the early church, they dealt with racism as well. It wasn't necessarily a black-white issue. It was a, I'm a Jew and you're a Gentile issue. I'm clean and you're unclean. And so there was tension there. And so in the gospel, we see how God intends for us to view each other, though. So in your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10 or pull out your phone and look it up. If you didn't, you can look at the screen. But Acts chapter 10 is a glorious chapter in the Bible. It is an incredible chapter. Hey, don't put it up there yet. I'm not ready. You're going to ruin the surprise. <clears throat> They'll read it. They won't listen to me. <clears throat> it's a glorious chapter, right? Uh, Peter has a vision, and he begins to understand what this vision means and the implications of this vision, and he shares it to Cornelius and a bunch of Gentiles, and it changes the course of the Christian Church, and one of the things, just as a side note, a little footnote for, for some of you that enjoy this, one of the things he does is that he declares bacon holy. Hallelujah. If you bought an amen, why not there, right? So my wife made baked potatoes last night, and she topped it off with some Benton's bacon, and it was like a glorious praise moment for me. It's wonderful, right? That's not the only thing he does in Acts chapter 10, though. Let me, I'm getting a little, little scattered here. Let's look at verse 28. And he said to them, Peter is talking to these Gentiles and to Jewish uh, people and to Jewish Christians, Jews that had accepted Christ as Messiah. Verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit with anyone of another nation. So there was a law Jews had to follow. You didn't associate with another race, another ethnicity. You didn't associate. It was against the law to do so. And look at what he says. But God has shown me that I should not call any person, any person common or unclean. Peter says, I've had this vision and God has made it clear to me. All of humanity is clean before God. There is no distinction. 
There is no favoritism. There is nothing that God would, would look at a person and say, because of how they look, because of where they were born, because of the language that they speak, that they are unclean. God destroys that in this vision and in this passage. He makes it very clear that God shows no partiality. Now, let's hop over to verse 34. This was never God's idea, by the way. His idea was never to show partiality. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, this is huge. This word partiality here, some translations translate it as favoritism, but it comes from a Hebrew word, a Hebrew example or idiom, not that you care, but it means to lift the face. Now, this is important because if you were in the presence of a king, you had to bow your head. And it wasn't until the king would lift your head and lift your eyes up that you were considered accepted into his presence. That's why Psalm 3, 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Why? Because God accepts all mankind, not on the basis of how we look or how we talk, but he accepts us on the basis of who we follow, our obedience, our faith. And he makes it clear in verse 36. He says, as for the word, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news. Good news, that's the gospel. The gospel, the good news of peace. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, he is the Lord of all. Everybody say all. Come on, church, say it again. All, all people, black, white, Asian, Latino, white, you name it. Native American, like we are all part of God's family. As, as, we, as we understand the gospel, we realize that in Christ, we have peace with God. He forgives us of our sin. But also we have peace with each other. The answer, the solution for racial problems in America is the gospel. It's the fact that God brings this peace to us only through this gospel. It's the fact that God is bringing us together through this peace in this one person, Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, verse 26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, listen, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, the gospel eliminates all racial barriers. The only barriers that exist between races are the barriers that pride builds. And so as Christians, we've got to destroy these barriers. We've got to destroy these issues that are, are created and, 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 and grow and fester in our heart, that fester in culture. Racism is sin. Number four, we've got to seek to empathize with the broken. We've got to seek to empathize 
with the broken, to see things from another person's point of view, to understand where someone else is coming from. It's really easy not to have any friends from another race and to sit and judge other people's reactions and responses to the tragedies in America. That's why you're irrelevant to the conversation. If you're not engaged and empathetic towards the struggle of other people, then you are irrelevant to the conversation. You, you can't really bring anything unless you engage other races and begin to understand where they come from and what they are struggling with. First Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, often we would apply this to our church, our little church right here. Like we've got to apply this and we've got to be humble in mind and have unity together. But he's speaking not just to this church, but to all churches and to all believers in Christ to seek sympathy and brotherly love to our brothers and sisters who are African-American or Asian or Latino or you name the list. It is valuable that you and I Come to the table with sympathy, brotherly love, seeking to have compassion towards other races. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. That's not just your small group. That's not just your family. If one of the members of God's church, when nine African-American brothers and sisters in Christ are killed, because of a white supremacist ideology, we should suffer with them. Our arm should be around somebody's shoulder of a different race. A conversation with someone of another race needs to happen here from the white community. This is what empathy leads us to do. I was... Um, <clears throat> I was talking to another pastor who is, who's an African-American, and he was telling me, he's from Knoxville, he, um, I won't say the name, but somebody from the, the school board was driving around downtown and, and um, was driving by Vine Middle School, which is predominantly a black uh, middle school, and there were a bunch of uh, black kids that were out in front of the, ch or, or the uh, school, and as he was driving by, he was telling the, this pastor this story. He said, man, I was so upset. I saw these kids out there, and I'm like, man, they are up to no good. They are, they, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay the hammer down on them and get them straight. And so he whips his car over and he jumps out of the car all angry and mad. He says, what are you guys doing over here? They look at him and they say, we're doing, we're doing homework. And he didn't believe him. And he got closer to him. He went up and he saw, you know, 15 kids. They had books out and they were sharing a couple of devices and they were doing their homework. And he said, why are you guys doing your homework here? And they said, because this is the only place we can get the internet. And it hit him. And he began to be a little bit more empathetic. He began to understand a little bit more of his own heart and the tendencies of his heart to jump to conclusions. And then when he, he had this conversation with this pastor, the pastor said, see, white people don't understand this. But people that I serve, he said, Trent, have to make the decision, am I going to feed my kids or are we going to provide the internet for him. He said, my people are going to feed their kids, and so, so they don't have the internet. He said, Trent, how many people in your congregation have to decide between feeding their kids and having the internet? In the same silence that we feel here, 
is the same silence that I had before him. Because I, I got to be honest, I don't, I don't think that's an issue for many of you in the room. It could be some. But, but the reality is, if we don't start having the conversation, if we don't start engaging this with, with our, our, our African-American brothers and sisters, then, then we're not going to be able to engage this empathy, this compassion, this understanding until we know, you know, the things they like to do, the things that they enjoy, what another family, you know, in their culture and their background, why they do things, why they, you know, celebrate certain things, until we know why, you know, the why behind some of these things, we're always going to jump to the wrong conclusions. Empathy for those with a broken heart. Fifth, we live in a posture of reconciliation with all races. And so another challenging you know, statement for you is that we don't just you know, post something on Facebook when you know, a black person is killed and feel like the hashtag of the week makes me holy, right? It's like as Americans, you know, we see injustice or something and we're moved to action. We gotta do something. And that typically is we're gonna donate money we're going to give to Haiti because there's floods and that makes me feel good about myself and my conscience. Or I'm going to post something on Facebook that deals with this issue. I'm going to hashtag it. I'm going to do my part. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, the reality is most of the money that went to Haiti went to corrupt politicians. And your little post did nothing to help with race reconciliation in America. But when we do that, we kind of massage the own, our own pride in our heart like we did something good. But you've got to have a posture of reconciliation. And so, you know, people that you work with that are from a different race, family members, um, people in your neighborhood, um, th th this is an opportunity for you to begin to posture yourself with an idea and with this mentality that we are called to this ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 explains it. If you've not read that chapter, go back and read it. Verse 18 says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so if we're going to help reconcile this race issue, we've got to listen. We've got to have the conversation with people from other races and determine how they feel and determine why, why is this happening. Let me get your perspective because all I get is my perspective and people who are like me, which creates more division. And by the way, don't fall for the lies that we see flooding our television screen from the media. You know, the number one goal for the news media, and if you're in media, I don't mean to offend you, but I'm probably going to. The reality is all they really care about are ratings and people watching. That's it. That's why it doesn't matter if it's true or rumor that's why it doesn't matter if, if it's helpful or unhelpful. Whatever gets the rating, whatever gets people's attention and money is, is what they produce. And so while it looks so holy when a black man is killed by whoever, and it's all over the media for that week, and then what happens? It's gone off the radar. Don't talk about it anymore. Don't see it anymore. Why? Because they don't care. They just want your money and they want your attention. 
So don't get sucked into the, the propaganda. Don't get sucked into the lie. Don't get sucked into that wave of emotion that comes. Be more emotionally intelligent as a believer and realize the first thing that you need to do when that tragedy hits is not post, is not jump on the new, it's to, it's to repent and to pray. Repent of your own sin and to pray for our nation and then begin to engage yourself in the conversation to seek reconciliation. And here's the bottom line, number six, is that the church is the it's not a, it's the change agent for culture. The only way that racism begins to go away in America is if the church, and in particular, white Christians, begin to engage this conversation and hit it head on. And stop avoiding it, and stop feeling awkward, and stop getting in your little lane of I got to work and do this and it's all about me and it's all about my family and it's all, and realize that you are called as a Christian to engage culture to be a change agent for the gospel. In this series, we've talked a lot about some tough issues and, and I realize that not everyone is gonna you know, serve at the Pregnancy Resource Center. Not everyone is gonna adopt. Not, not everyone is gonna get involved in social activism as it relates to you know, human trafficking or, 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 or racism issues. I get that. However, by talking, for me, by talking about these issues, by making you aware, my prayer and what I hope is that you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit leading you to something that you recognize, this is what I'm passionate about. This is how God has gifted me. A reality that, yeah, I am selfish and I don't really care about anything. All I wanna do is complain about it. But at the end of the day, when we look at the word of God, I want to create change in this culture. And it's not gonna happen overnight. And I'm not asking anyone, and, and I don't wanna put that pressure on me either to feel like I'm gonna change everything this week or in this specific issue. But God will call you to something and to care about something. And he's gifted you to get involved in something. What is that something and by doing that, maybe it's one person or two people or a whole family or a whole community. We don't know that yet. We do what we have been called to do and we let the will and work of God accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And you'll be surprised how a small conversation, maybe a dinner, maybe you're gonna, you're gonna involve yourself in a program or a ministry and by doing that and involving yourself with this conversation, particularly about racism, you'll be surprised at how many people touch your lives and how many lives you yourself will touch. Martin Luther King Jr. <clears throat> wrote a letter from prison, and it's famous, and if you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. It's called A Letter from a Birmingham Prison. And he essentially wrote the letter, and he writes it in the margins of a newspaper because he didn't even have paper. But he wrote the letter because he was protesting and, and, and peacefully protesting in Alabama. They throw him in prison. And then he gets a letter. And he gets this letter from none other than some white pastors in the community. And there were, there were eight white pastors that write this letter to Martin Luther King Jr. and basically say, hey, listen, Mr. King, stop doing this. Slow down. You gotta be patient. 
And in the letter, they discouraged him from continuing to do what he was doing. And so he writes this letter, and he's addressing all of these issues. It's a great letter, something that I think we all got to read, our kids got to read. But in this, one of his famous quotes is this. He says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Isn't that good? Think about that. Injustice anywhere, no matter who it's against, unborn, no matter what race, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Why? Because if that injustice is not eradicated, it will grow and begin to consume more and more people. And not only that, if we don't, who are on the outside viewing this injustice, not step in and try to overcome that injustice, then we are just as guilty, if not even more so, than those who are committing the crime and the injustice acts. If we don't step in and speak up and speak out, if we're not engaged in that and just let it happen, then we are even more guilty. And not to mention, that means the pride and arrogance in our own heart grows, which is only destroying your life even further, destroying your relationships, hurting your walk with God, so yeah, when we see injustice as Christians, we're called to speak into that issue. I think essentially Kings is arguing in this letter that people who see injustice and do nothing are more sinful than those who commit the injustice. He was disappointed in the white pastors. And I just think, I wonder if he were alive today, would he be disappointed with white pastors today? By and large, would he be disappointed? A fellow follower of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 1, verse 16 says, Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. I know what you're thinking, some of you. But I don't know what to do. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. How, how can I do that? Well, let me give you a few ways. I'm glad you asked. Number one, how do we get God's vision for culture in America? We've got to repent and pray. This is a this is a prayerful act. I don't say that as a cliche, like, oh yeah, we gotta pray. Oh yeah, we know that. We're like genuinely pray over the sin of racism in your own life and in the, the, the culture around us. Turn from the sin that is even in your own life, the prejudice, some of the jokes, some of the mentalities that you have, confessing that. Maybe you were taught that from mom and dad. I would say secondly, you in the generation, generational curse of racism in your family, in your life. So maybe that was a part of your history or whatever, but that doesn't mean that, that you today and your kids moving forward have to carry that same curse, that same sinful attitude. And you confess that and you decide today we are not, we are not going to teach that or infuse our kids with that ideology. Thirdly, I would say seek relationships and ministry opportunities with other races. Seek, seek relationships, seek them out. 
Seek ministries where you're serving together with people from other races, where you're doing ministry together, where you're having the opportunity to have these conversations. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, this is the thing to hear. So everybody look at me. This is my challenge for you. And you can hold each other accountable for this and you can shake your head and shame each other if you want to. I don't care. Here's the deal. Starting today, when we walk out of here, your mission is to start a conversation with someone from another race. As a, as a white person, start that conversation. If you're an African-American here today, start that conversation with a white friend. My challenge is this, start the conversation. And for me, it started like this. Hey, thanks for meeting with me. I know we don't really know each other that well, but here's the deal with all the tension going on in our, our, our country. I just, I really just wanted to know from your perspective, how does it, how does it feel to be a black man in America? <laughs> you open that door and you have that conversation. And if thousands of people from Foothills Church start having that conversation in this community and in this city, then you'll begin to see bridges being built. Someone said, hey, we should do an event with a, with a, with a church that's predominantly black. Man, that this just doesn't do anything. Let's do an event and pretend like we like each other and then we'll never see each other again. I mean, great, great attempt, but it's pointless and worthless. What it takes is individually men and women being convicted and understanding that as a ministry of reconciliation, I'm going to reach out to someone from another race and invite them to lunch, invite them to have coffee, invite them over to the house and just ask them a simple question. What's it like to be black in America, man? Help me understand. Because all I have is white friends and, and, and I don't get it. I don't have to think about race every day, but you do. Tell me what, what, what that's like. You, you wanna see some good conversations? You ask that question. And I believe that that'll be the start. That'll be the beginning of something that will completely begin to change our culture. So let me close with this. One day, one day, racism will end. And that day is Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10, where men and women from every tribe, from every culture, from every color, from every nation who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will gather around the throne of King Jesus and worship him for eternity. The scripture says it like this. He says, and behold, I saw a great multitude that no one could number. God, can you imagine the sea? You can't even count them. Now, as a you know, Baptist, we count everybody, right? We count. Like we have, I can't imagine not being able to count. No one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages. Can you imagine the sea of colors? White, brown, tan, black, all standing before the throne. Can you imagine that with no racial divisions amongst us? Racism will end one day. All standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. Verse 10, and crying out with a loud Boy, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
What unites us is the gospel. What will unite us, what will help us overcome this division in this city at your work in this country is Jesus Christ. That's why it's our responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation. The hope of the world has been placed in God's church. And God's church is not this building, it's you, it's me. Challenge you, will you go and start a conversation? We're gonna sing today, we're gonna close this whole series with just a song that's kind of been our theme song. We look to God's promises all throughout his word and even when we don't understand, even when we don't know what to do, our hope is in the promises that God gives to us. That's the anthem, that's the, the song we wanna close and sing with. And as we sing, I wanna challenge you again to come forward and pray. To pray for our country. We're 10, 9, 10, 11, I don't know how many days, a few days away from the election. So much controversy, so much hate, so much division. Let's pray and ask that God use us to bring unity. Let's pray and ask God to use us to share the gospel that will unite us all. Let's do that. Let me pray and, and, and we'll do this together. Father, we just want to give you this time. Lord, we pray that your word would be made real in our life and in our heart and that today as we close that we wouldn't think about lunch, we wouldn't think about leaving, we wouldn't think about what's happening tonight or tomorrow, but we would really be faced with our own pride, with our own prejudice. We would face you today. We would confront our sin. And I pray, God, that you would give us the humility, you would give us courage to have conversations, to build bridges, and to step into that realm like never before. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.